Well, we do want to welcome you again to Christ Church, Milwaukee. My name is John. I'm the pastor here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I hope to do so. We do want to say a special welcome if you're a guest and visitor among us. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We're thankful you're here. Uh, we have some cards in the back on the table in the foyer there. Uh, if you want to fill one of those out for us and leave it in the basket there, we would be happy to follow up with you and find out if there's any way we can help you or serve you in any way. Uh, this morning, as I mentioned already, we had the privilege of hearing from Calvin. Calvin is on staff here uh, as a pastoral assistant, and we're very thankful for his ministry among us, and he's going to be bringing the word to us this morning. Amen. Good morning. Early in the 1930s, there was a friendly debate taking place on the value of fantasy literature and myths. One was defending the value of fantasy literature and myths, while the other maintained that myths were lies, and therefore they were useless, though they were breathed through silver. In response to his friend, the one defending fantasy wrote a poem. He, uh, it was called Mythopoeia, and he you know, asserted his position and um, answered objections and unpacks all the benefits of fantasy and myth-making. One objection that he answered was the charge that fantasy um, is simply longing for a victory and a hope in something that cannot and will not come true. He sarcastically answers in his poem saying, Yes, wish-fulfillment dreams we spin to cheat. Our timid hearts and ugly fact defeat. Then he asks in response, whence came the wish and whence the power to dream of some things fair and others ugly deem? He goes on and says, all wishes are not idle, not in vain. Fulfillment we devise for pain is pain, not for itself to be desired but ill or else to strive or to subdue the will. Alike were graceless and of the evil, this alone is deadly certain evil is. This debate was between J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis before he was a Christian. But did you hear how Tolkien defends fantasy? What he does is he points to the longing and the hope that we all feel, not simply for an adventure or for a good story, but for something deeper, um, for hope and for light in the darkness and for final victory, victory in the face of real pain and real evil. The great and epic battle of good versus evil, where good finally triumphs forever. Um, the power of fantasy is that it provokes our deepest desires by showing us the reality of the darkness of evil. And not just in me or institutions, but external evil. But also the hope of victory and freedom and light. Um, Tolkien ended up winning the debate. And C.S. Lewis ended up later becoming a Christian and becoming a fantasy writer as well. And he remained greatly shaped by Tolkien. The continued popularity of fantasy and culture today not only confirms its value, but also the fact that this longing and hope within us and in humans hasn't gone away. This morning in our passage, we're going to be considering what the Apostle Paul says about this ultimate battle and our role within it. And this battle is the real story, what all fantasy and myths really are pointing us to. As John said, my name is Calvin Peranto. I'm the pastoral assistant here, and um, it is good to be 
with you. Um, Our passage this morning is Ephesians 6, as you can see in your bulletin. And at the end of December, Nick Bratcher brought us the word, and he focused on verses 17 through 20, really highlighting the weapons of the armor. And I'm going to be looking mostly then at verses 10 through 16 and seeing the armor and not just the weapons. So we'll get both as well. I'm going to read our passage, then I'll pray, and we'll dive into it together this morning. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you not finding our confidence in ourselves, but in your Son and in your Word. We ask that um, the words of my mouth and that the meditations of our heart this morning would be pleasing to you. Shape us into the likeness of your Son and make us more dependent on him as we consider this serious matter. In your Son's name, amen. All right, our passage this morning comes at the end of Ephesians, and really it's the summary of all the theology and everything that's come before. If you look at verse 10, it says, finally, and it's Paul's final charge to his people. The way I think about this passage is if you think about, you know, let's say Lord of the Rings or Braveheart, generally when the battle lines are drawn, the general or the king or the leader um, kind of gives a rousing speech to the army and gives them a final charge to go forth into battle and be victorious. That's really what Paul is doing here. He's summarizing and giving the Christians, the Christian Ephesians, this final charge. Something also, just by way of context before we dive into the particulars, is that this passage comes right after the relation of husbands to wives, children and parents, um, slaves and masters, and then he talks about this battle. What we need to realize and remember is that this battle is something that takes place in the specifics of our lives. In the ordinary, the extraordinary takes place, and in the seemingly natural, supernatural forces operate, and supernatural events take place. In our relationships, in our jobs, in our conversations, in the seemingly mundane, this battle is taking place. So what I want us to see this morning is that Paul charges Christians to armor themselves with their new victorious identity in Christ. Let me say that one more time. Paul charges Christians, you and I, to armor themselves 
with the, our new victorious identity in Christ. There's three things we're going to see. We're going to see the posture, then we're going to see the purpose, and then we're going to see the pieces. So the posture, the purpose, and the pieces. So let's begin and look at the posture that Paul describes. And it's really Paul's command to stand. If you look at, this is verses 11 through 14. If you look, verse 11 begins with stand against. Verse 13 says withstand. Verse 13 says stand firm. And then verse 14 says stand therefore. And we need to think what is this posture and what does the posture of standing communicate? In scripture and just in everyday life, different postures communicate different things. They're sitting or kneeling, laying down. And what Paul is getting at here with standing is that it's a posture of preparation. It's a posture of being ready and anticipation. I think about it if you uh, think about tennis. If you're going to be reserving, uh, receiving a serve, you get in a position that's ready, the ready position to receive the serve. Uh, but standing also has another connotation. It's not just preparation, but it's also um, a position of victory. If you think about the, what he says that we need to withstand in the evil day, or if you think about being um, the last one standing, being the last one standing is being victorious. Paul is focused on giving us a strategy for victory in the Christian life. And before we move on, we should think about and just reflect, what is our spiritual posture this morning? Where do you feel like you are at? If you're feeling defeated, burdened, do you feel knocked down this morning? Um, whatever position or posture you may feel yourself to be in, what we need to see is that Paul's giving us the com- this command, and it's something that we can renew and reassume each day. Sometimes it's something that we have to reassume several times throughout the day. So if standing is the posture of readiness and victory that Paul is giving us, then we have to ask, what's the purpose of the armor? How does the armor relate to the command to stand? So let's now look at the purpose. This is in verses 10, 11, and 13. And Paul goes on and he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then he says, Put on the armor. And then in verse 13 he says, Take up the armor. And the first reason is our enemy. He says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood in verse 12. As we've already said in the service, what we need to remember is that as Christians, our battle and our enemy is not other people. We wrestle not against other people, nor against institutions. And this is not to say that people and institutions absolutely can't be and do evil, but the battles that each of us face primarily is a spiritual battle. Our ultimate enemies are never other human beings. So if it's not against people, then who is it and what is it? Paul says that we wrestle against forces of evil. He says wrestling. It's something that is personal, something that is intimate. I did wrestling for a year as a student, and then I realized that wrestling was not for me because, you know, maybe it's just my personality, but it wasn't what I was really into. But it's something is that's personal. It's intimate. It is um, body to body, flesh on flesh. It's close to home. And I think that what Paul's getting at as he uses this metaphor is that um, this battle is taking place in the intricacies of our lives and in our relationships and oftentimes even within 
our own hearts. Paul says that we also need to withstand the schemes of the devil. Schemes, the nature of schemes are that they're not as they appear. They're not as they seem. The way I like to think about this is, uh, if you've ever seen the movie The Usual Suspects, there's a quote in this movie that says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Um, The devil works in ways that are not apparent and obvious. He uses schemes. Paul goes further, it's not just schemes, but we wrestle against rulers and authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, as he says in verse 12. These categories refer to the reality of external forces of evil that are operational throughout this world and in our lives. These forces are ones that have rejected the authority of God. And so we live in enemy-occupied territory in this present darkness. And so what's the purpose of the armor? Um, What we need to see is that the armor is um, the way in which we will stand, the way in which we will be prepared, and the way in which we will be victorious. We need to unpack further this metaphor of armor. And what Paul is getting at and what he's been developing through Ephesians, that armor is our identity in conflict with others. This armor that Paul goes on to describe that we're going to look at is our identity as Christians, but militarized. And for Paul, your armor is what determines if you will stand or fall. And as we think about the purpose of armor, we need to realize also that all of us armor ourselves in something. It's not as if some people have armor and other people don't. All of us this morning have assumed some sort of armor. Um, And the world, in one sense, tells us what we should armor ourselves with. The armor that we use either to protect ourselves or to destroy others when we're in conflict with other people or ideas. So what is the armor that you've assumed and what have I assumed this morning? Um, Oftentimes it could be intelligence. Could be being on the right side of whatever issue. Could be beauty or appearance. Is it your grades if you're a student or academic success or degrees, social status or following, or perhaps our wealth, our athleticism, achievements, relationships, financial stability, possessions, your house, your family, or is it your cynicism, our morality, good behavior, the good behavior of our children, our allegiance to a particular group or social norm, or our lack of conformity to a specific social norm? Or is it our health? We all assume various ways to armor ourselves. What we need to think about is, do any of these things, do any of these pieces of armor really help us if our battle is not against flesh and blood? These things will be no help to us in our fight against our real enemy and in our real battle. Furthermore, there's a dilemma if our armor's found in doing good things. And realize that the things I said, these aren't bad things. These are good things. And yet, if we're found, uh, our armor is found in doing good things, generally we will end up with pride. Or if we don't succeed, we will end up with shame or guilt. This is because also sin works in and through our successes and failures. And all of these supposed pieces of armor will give out and will rust and will fail us because they don't properly address our true enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil. 
And the thought to have anything other than the armor of God is a scheme of the devil um, and is one of the most prevalent and consistent means that he uses to distract us from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says elsewhere in Colossians, uh, 2 Corinthians 10.4, he says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy, to destroy strongholds. These other pieces of armor will do us no good in our real battle. We need an armor that doesn't brutalize others or generate pride within us. We need an armor that deals with our true enemy and equips us in our spiritual battle. So, we've looked at the posture, we've looked at the purpose, now let's look at the pieces of this armor. First thing we should acknowledge is that our armor is something that we have received and not something that we have earned. Um, Look at the beginning of verse 10. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then put on the armor of God. The armor of God is from God, and it's armor for us. It is an armor of grace through the gospel. Um, The identity that we have in Jesus Christ is an identity of freedom, of vulnerability, of honesty and transparency. It's our identity in Jesus Christ. It's in our union with Christ by the gospel. And this is what Paul has been talking about in the letter of Ephesians, that in Christ we have an identity of blessing, an identity of meaning, of adoption, of peace, of holiness, of truth. In Christ, we have redemption. We have righteousness and power and knowledge and love. In summary, we have an identity that is shaped by grace. And all the aspects of the armor that we will unpack and look at are things that first reside in Jesus Christ. And the world and the flesh and the devil, our enemies, have already been defeated by the cross and resurrection of Jesus. As Paul says in Colossians 2, uh, 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Jesus Christ, by his perfect life and perfect death and glorious resurrection, has secured this armor for you and for me. It's not something that we have to earn, but it's something you simply receive. Notice that the armor of God is not a list of commands because it's a reality for Christians that they already have. So, let's look at these pieces. The first one is the belt of truth in verse uh, 14. It says, gird up your loins with truth or put on the belt of truth. And as we've read, this is actually a quotation from Isaiah 11 where it's talking about the Messiah who will gird himself with faithfulness and truth. In Ephesians, the gospel is called the word of truth, and Christians are said to be created anew in Christ Jesus in true knowledge and true righteousness and holiness. Furthermore, the truth is said to be found in Jesus Christ, who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life. And this belt holds everything else together, the reality and truth of who Jesus is. Next is the breastplate of righteousness in verse 14. And again, Paul's quoting from Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 59, 17 says that he, the Lord, put on righteousness as a breastplate. That the Lord is the divine warrior who goes and does righteousness on earth. And for Christians, our righteousness is not found in ourselves. It's not found in the rightness of our position or in ourselves or what we do, but in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
The gospel leaves no room for self-righteousness or pride. So as we have received the righteousness of Christ, we then ought to live lives of humility and confidence in him. Self-righteousness is no armor at all, but will simply crush us or crush you as it bears the blow of this world, or inevitably it will crush other people. Next piece of armor is the readiness from the gospel of peace. Paul has developed in Ephesians 2 that um, we have peace in Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ is our peace. We have peace with God, we have peace with others, and we even have peace with ourselves. This gives us readiness and confidence through the gospel. And so we can go and make peace in this world. The next piece of the armor is the shield of faith in verse 16. And it's by faith that we lay hold of Jesus Christ. And by faith, we lay hold the promises of God. We walk by faith and not by sight. And Paul further describes the shield of faith and says that with it, you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And what are these darts? These darts are the lies, the distractions, the schemes, finding your identity or your armor elsewhere. Um, faith, com- uh, faith does combat not against reason, but against the lies of the enemy. C.S. Lewis says this about faith. He says, If we wish to be rational, not now and then, but constantly, we must pray for the gift of faith, for the power to go on believing, not in the teeth of reason, but in the teeth of lust and terror and jealousy and boredom and indifference, that which reason, authority, or experience, or all of which have once delivered to us for truth. By faith we lay hold of the promises of God and lay hold of Christ himself. Verse 16, um, Paul says that we should put on the helmet of salvation. And again, he's quoting Isaiah 59, where it says that the Lord puts on salvation on his head. In the Old Testament, salvation is what God accomplishes on behalf of his people. And that's also what we have in Jesus Christ. Salvation is what he has done for us. And here we get to put on the helmet of salvation because of who Jesus is and on the basis of what he has accomplished for us. As Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not on the basis of your works, so that no one may boast. We can have confidence and know that it's guaranteed because of who Jesus is. So we can walk in hope and in joy. The last two pieces of armor in verses 17 through 20 is the sword of the Spirit and prayer. The sword of the Spirit is the only weapon we need, and it is from the Spirit. It's the way that the Spirit operates within our hearts and in our lives. It's through the Word. We need to be in the Word each and every day, reading, studying, meditating, memorizing, and hearing the Word proclaimed. And lastly is prayer in verses 17 through 20. Prayer communicates absolute dependence upon the Lord. Prayer culminates this armor because What is the armor? It's relying upon who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So, it is this armor, this armor of grace, that we need to stand in these evil days and in this present darkness. This armor and these weapons are not used for the destruction of others, but are for love, for peace, for righteousness, for truth, and for victory. This is the only armor that does not generate pride within us as it's all by grace.
All these are found in Christ Jesus, our Savior, and this is the gospel. We can put on the perfect armor of Christ Jesus because, what of, because of what he has done for us. We can have a breastplate of righteousness because he took on our sins and bore our shame on the cross. We can have a helmet of salvation because Jesus Christ underwent the death that we deserved and was slain by darkness. We can have peace and confidence because he was driven out and was forsaken by his Father. Friends, he lived the life we ought to have lived. He died the death that we deserved, but he also rose again and brought final victory forever so that we may share in his life forevermore. The battle has been won, so we can stand this day and this week ever anew in the gracious life and victory of Jesus Christ. If it feels like you're face down in the mud this day, you can stand anew in the finished work of Christ. Jesus Christ has stood in your place. He stands for you even now. The work has been accomplished. Rest and receive the victory that he has wrought on your behalf. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us yourself. You have given us your son. And we ask that we would be strong in you, that we would be equipped with your strength and might, that we would wear your armor and realize that it is a gracious gift that you have given us in your son. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in his name. Amen.